What's that? Yeah. Children can be dismissed for children's church. Who are they going with this morning? Bev, Bev, Miss Beverly has you. And nursery is Bonnie. Thank you. This is a message that started off kind of going to be as brief and words ran into words, ran into words. So we got a lot of ground to cover. I want you to know that. And we're going to hear a couple testimonies at the end of this message. Um, so it might be a slightly longer service overall. Not a longer message, but a slightly longer service. I'm going to have to abbreviate some of this here. But um, Rick has prayed, and so I'm just going to jump in here. Um, at my first thought with regard to this text, I, was gonna, I thought I was going to be preparing a message on the ministry of the Word of God. If you look at verse 11 of Acts 18, where it says, And he settled there a year and six months teaching the Word of God among them. I thought that was going to be the focus of my message, the ministry of the Word of God. But uh, seeing that Luke has condensed 18 months of ministry in, in Corinth into just 11 verses... Um, I thought, well, I better start thinking about this a little bit deeper. So I went to First and Second Corinthians, and well, my mind just went there actually. And I thought of some things that Paul wrote to them, and um, I began to think of Paul's letters that he would later write to those believers. And the focus of this message changed from the ministry of the Word of God to the minister of the Word of God, and there's reasons for that. Um, and the minister of the Word of God here is the Apostle Paul. You know, even the Apostle Paul was not immune to weakness. Sometimes we, we might get the idea that the Apostle Paul um, was always spiritually strong, never had a moment of unsettledness or weakness, but that's not the case. It's not the case. He struggled at times with things. He was not a perfect man. He was perfect in Christ, but not perfect in his natural self. Even the Apostle Paul was not immune to weakness, fear, distress. The record in our text and even Paul's own writings tell us of his state of mind when he comes into Corinth. In our text here, in verse 9, the Lord appears to Paul in a vision in the night. And the Lord said to Paul in that vision, Do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent. This tells me that Paul had some fear in him for the Lord to have to come to him and say, Do not be afraid. Paul's afraid. He's got some fear. His confidence has been rocked a little bit. He was afraid and maybe thinking about throwing in the towel or buttoning his lip. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse um, 1 through 4, Paul says, when I came to you, brothers, he's writing to the Corinthians there in 1 Corinthians. He says, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom, as I proclaim to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and much trembling. Paul is admitting he was struggling when he got to Corinth. He was struggling. And he made a resolution. And the resolution was, I am going to know nothing among these people except for Jesus Christ and Him crucified. In 1 Thessalonians 3, 7 he writes to the Thessalonians from Corinth. In these 11 verses that Rick read for us, during this time frame, which spans 18 months, a year and a half, Paul writes 1 Thessalonians, the letter to the Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians 3.7, he notes that he was in affliction and distress while he was in Corinth. He was in affliction and in distress. This was his state of mind. This is where he was at. And some of that distress is understandable. In fact, if you were here, you might not have been, but as we looked at Paul and Silas being ran out of Thessalonica, Thessalonica, as we looked at that, you know, my mind went to, it had to be hard for them to leave those folks. Here they shared the gospel and they got chased out of town by a mob and their hearts and their minds had to be back there with them wondering what became of them, what happened to them, and that is the case. When you read 1 Thessalonians, Paul is saying that, that very thing. He, he was so concerned for them that he sends Timothy to find out how they're doing. And he writes this letter and sends Timothy, and Timothy comes back and reports to, them, reports to Paul 
how the Thessalonians are doing in this time span of 18 months, which is 18 months, which is covered in these 11 verses. 18 months of ministry of Paul's life in 11 verses. Now, now this is a narrative, right? Acts is a narrative, just like Genesis. It's a narrative. It's telling us a story, and and Luke doesn't give us every detail, but he gives us very vivid details. Very vivid details. And when you take those vivid details and you start looking at other scriptures, you can, you can kind of see what is going on in this narrative. You can broaden your scope a little bit, and that's what we're doing this morning. I'm talking about Christian comforts this morning, not the ministry of the Word, but how the minister of the Word was ministered to by God himself. How God came and comforted comforted Paul. I'm trying to talk too fast here. God came and comforted, comforted Paul right when he needed it most. We've all heard the phrase creature comfort. Creature comforts. I'm having a hard time with the word comfort, aren't I? Maybe you have some things that provide that sense of comfort for you. A favorite chair. A favorite corner of the couch where your teacup sits. Maybe you have some creature comforts like that. Those are good things. Every, Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heavenly lights. Those are good things. But I'm talking about Christian comforts. Comforts that are a little deeper than that. A little sweeter than that, maybe. Christian comforts are those things that bring comfort to believers when comfort is needed most. Things that come from God Himself. And there are plenty of things that we would need comforting about. There's plenty of things to bring us down, to cause us fear or distress, or to weaken us spiritually. And if I was to do a survey, if if I was to ask each one of you privately, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to ask anyone to give testimony this morning. But if I was to go around the room and ask each one of you privately, do you have anything in your life that causes you fear or distress or anguish? Something tells me that most of you would give me a yeah, and you'd be able to name it. You'd be able to say it's it's this. It might be something just between you and God that no one else is even aware of. We, we all have these things, things that cause us fear and distress and anguish, cause us to be a little bit despondent maybe. We carry those things around. I'm hoping um, by the close of this message, maybe you could give those things to the Lord a little bit and, and find the comfort that he provides. Hey? Because God provides comfort to believers right when they need it most. Amen. Paul is going to write to this church at Corinth later and he's going to say to them, may the God of all comfort comfort you. God is that kind of God. He's the God of all comfort. That's a comforting thought all by itself. Just wraps around you, doesn't it? God is the God of all comfort. What a wonderful thought. What a wonderful fact that that is the case, that that is the God we serve. That's the God that has saved us. So I want to talk about three ways God comforts us today. Three ways in which God comforts us today. And in order to do that, we need to do a little bit of background here. So in, in your text, in Acts 18.1, it says, After these things, he left Athens and went to Corinth. You need to know, I'm well aware of the fact that we didn't finish in chapter 17. Uh, Pastor Patrick has been preparing for that for a few weeks, and he's looking forward to follow, finishing up that chapter when he comes back. He will. And there's nothing wrong there, um, but he's just not able to be here today. So um, after these things, he left Athens and went to Corinth. After these things, things in Athens, what kind of things happened in Athens? He got to Athens, and it's the intellectual center of the world, maybe. At least they think they are. And when Paul gets there, Paul's Paul's a bit of an intellectual himself, isn't he? And he gets there, and he is interacting with these guys, And maybe he's thinking he's on par with them as far as intellect. And he hears them saying to one another, what does this babbler have to say? What does this babbler have to say? That word babbler means it's someone that just takes all kinds of ideas from other people and then just spews it out himself like they were original with him, but they weren't, right? 
we've all done that from time to time. We've gained facts, we go on Google, and all, all of a sudden we're an expert, right? I can do heart surgery now, I read how, how to on Google. Basically, they're kind of saying that to Paul. You're like one of those guys. You're, you're a babbler. And they're not saying it right to his face, they're saying it to one another in his hearing. What is this babbler going on about love? They're not, they're not... I, I think this is cutting to Paul, I really do. It, Babbler, it's the off. He, he, it would it would be referring to him as the off scourging of society. I'm borrowing that from someone else. It would be referring to him in that way. A collector of scraps of knowledge who just babbles them out. A retailer of scraps. Someone that is not on our level of sophistication. That's what they're saying to Paul. You are not on our level of sophistication. We're above you, Paul. You got nothing for us. And maybe that disturbed Paul a little bit. And it probably disturbed him for sure that these men couldn't see the truth that he was proclaiming. We know it was disturbing to him to see so many idols and so much idolatry in Athens, in a place where everyone thought they were intellectually superior. They were a bunch of idol worshipers. How intellectually superior were they really? We know that bothered Paul. And, and these people are people who, who went around looking for something new. They were always looking for something new to hear of. But what they needed to hear of was something old or from someone old, someone eternal. They needed to hear from the living God. That's what they needed. And, God, and, and Paul shares with them a few things, and I'm just going to be brief here. He shares to, with them that, that, that God, that he is not unknowable, that God is not unknowable. They have this to an unknown God. And he's going to say that God can be known. And he can be sought and found. People are not incapable. The heavens declare the glory of God, and God has never left himself without a witness. And God says, if you seek me, you will find me. If you seek after me with your whole heart. And, and we don't know people's hearts, but God does. God knows when someone's seeking after them with their whole heart. We, it would be dangerous for us to, to, see, to think that we could tell whether or not someone was sincere. I think that's a sincere person. But God knows whether or not you're sincere with him. He knows. He knows you inside out. He knows you better than you know yourself. When you seek me, you will find me. If you seek after me with your whole heart, that's a real thing. God isn't just putting something out there that isn't true. He's not saying, I'm saying that, but you really can't seek me. He's not saying that. You can seek after God. When you put everything else aside, you seek after God, you can find him. And Paul is acknowledging that truth in this sermon on Mars Hill, which is a powerful message. And that God has fixed the day of judgment. Paul, Paul tells, them, tells them that through Jesus Christ. This God who can be known is known most fully in the person of Jesus Christ. Or another, a better way to say that is to know God, you need to know Jesus. And that's what Paul proclaims to them. To know God, to truly know God, you need to know Jesus. But these philosophers and Epicureans and the Stoics, they're too smart for all of that. Too wise in their own eyes for the gospel. We know that Paul desired to see people trust Jesus, to see churches planted and established. That's what this second missionary journey was all about. If you remember, back in Acts 16, he says to Barnabas, let's go back to those churches we visited on our first missionary journey and see how they're doing and strengthen them and bring these words that uh, the apostles decided on with regard to some things. Let's, let's do that. And, and, and then Paul and Barnabas have a separation there, and Paul goes one way and Barnabas goes another, and then Paul is having success going around strengthening churches, and then he decides he's going to go and, and expand his missionary endeavors. And he tries to go one way, and the Spirit of Jesus wouldn't let him. He tries to go another way, and he can't. And he has this vision in the night of a man from Macedonia that says, come on over here and help us. And then he gets to Macedonia, and what happens? He ends up at Philippi, and, and, a, and a woman gets saved, Lydia, right? And after she gets saved, and... Uh, and they cast a, a demon out of this, this young slave girl who was fortune-telling. Paul and Silas get uh, beaten and thrown in jail and in the stocks. And then, and then, and then God opens up their, up, uh, uh, loses their bonds, right? And they're free to go, but they don't go. And they stay there, and they're singing and praising to the Lord. And the Philippian jailer gets saved, him and his whole household. And there's this start of this church. But Paul and Silas, they got to leave. I think they leave Luke behind, but Paul and Silas got to leave. And that's got to be hard, right? We're having success. We're seeing people come to faith. We, we moved forward the way we thought the Lord was leading, and now we're, we're forced right out of here. 
Now, we could have it in our minds that that's no problem at all for Paul. He just knows how it's going. He's got the itinerary out in front of him. But that is not the case, is it? He doesn't have that. He's moving forward in faith with the best information he has right now. That's how we live our lives today. We're not so different from Paul. We're not apostles, but we're not so different from Paul the apostle with regard to these things. We're not. So, there he is on a second missionary journey. And he, and, and, and he gets beaten in Philippi. And then he goes to Thessalonica. And there's a little bit of success there. And he gets chased out of that city by this mob. that, 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 that They just whip up people into a, an emotional state through some lewd people or some people that they don't even care what the subject is. They're just like mercenary mob, right? Let's, let's just get everyone all stirred up and chase these guys out of town. So Paul has to leave Thessalonica, and he's left this, this newly formed church there. And his heart's got to be breaking. And we know it is a little bit. And we'll get to that in a minute here. And then they're, they're sent away into Berea. And right when he gets to Berea, the Bereans are more noble, and they're searching daily in the Scriptures to see whether or not these things are so. And Paul must be thinking to himself and Silas, Wow, God is on the move here. And what happens? Those folks from Thessalonica travel 45 to 50 miles to kick Paul and Silas out of Berea. Oh, that's hard stuff. That's not easy. Difficult things. Same mob. Just when it seemed things were going well. Then his encounters in Athens with these people that I call the Wizards of Smart. Aren't you guys the Wizards of Smart, right? The philosophers, the Stoics, the Epicureans, the intellectual geniuses, the Wizards of Smart with all these idols. And that there's not much happening there. So I kind of think Paul comes into Corinth dragging his tail a little bit. He, he's beat up a little bit. I'm not talking physically. He's been beaten physically. I'm talking spiritually, emotionally, mentally. He's beaten up a little bit. We ought not to have it in our mind that Paul never gets there because this text would tell us that that's not the case. The Lord had to come to him and said, and say, do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking. The Lord knows Paul. The Lord knows Paul is thinking, I don't even know if I want to keep saying anything anymore. It just ends up being the same thing all the time. With all these experiences and some shaken confidence, Paul heads into Corinth. In these most recent experiences in Athens, still fresh on his mind, Paul determines to know nothing among them, but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He goes into Corinth saying, I was battling with these, these philosophers and these intellectuals on an intellectual level, but I am determined when I go into Corinth, I am going to preach nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul was learning to lean on Jesus. That's a wonderful hymn, isn't it? Learning to lean, learning to lean. Paul was doing that. We have to do that too. We have to learn how to lean on Jesus. Paul had to, too. Again, we get this in our minds because he's the great apostle Paul, and he is the great apostle Paul. I'm taking nothing away from him that he never struggled with these things, but he did, and Scripture tells us he did. Now, there are three ways in which Paul receives comfort from the Lord. And again, while we're not apostles, these are things the Lord uses to comfort us as well. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4 Josh, can you bring those pictures up? Give you guys a breather here. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. This is, um, this is a channel that's been cut through the isthmus. An isthmus is, a, I think, a Greek word that means neck. <laughs> there's a, there's a, uh, at the end of Greece, there's this neck of land that sticks out and attaches that part of Greece, the mainland of Greece, with this peninsula. And so Corinth was situated right on this stretch of land there. So it was situ situated for, for uh, commerce. I mean, it, all kinds of commerce flowed through there on both sides of that body of water. And it took a long time until the 1800s for this canal to be finished, but I think Nero began digging this canal way back when. Um, uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4 says this. Praise, Paul writes to these people, the Corinthians, Praise be to God, 
to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So how did God, he's the God of all comfort. It's God, God is the source of the comfort that Paul received and that he says we can receive and the purpose of us receiving that comfort is so that we ourselves can comfort those who are suffering the same things we are, right? So how did God comfort Paul? And how does God comfort us? And three ways that God comforts us. God sends people into our lives. Acts 18, next picture, Josh, if you would. This is uh, corn. What's left of it? Ancient Corinth. Acts 18, 1 through 5. After these things, he left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, he came to them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they were working for, and they were working, for by trade they were tent makers. And he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. But when, Saul, but when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word of God, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. God comforts us and comforted Paul in this way. First way that God comforts us. God sends people into our lives. He sends people into our lives. We, we, don't, we don't see them coming. We, we, we don't expect it, but God will send people into our lives to comfort us. And that's what God did for Paul. He sent Aquila and Priscilla into his life. It says, after these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth. Corinth is sin city. Um, what's, the, what's the sin city in America? Vegas has, Las Vegas has nothing on Corinth. Corinth was vile, immoral. They had a temple to a, air quote, goddess, and that temple had a thousand priestesses that were prostitutes. This was a very immoral city. Vegas has nothing on Corinth. Corinth was, I, I don't want to go into great detail about this, it was a very immoral place. Paul, Paul leaves uh, Athens, which is supposed to be the seat of uh, intellectualism, but it was idolatry that was their problem. And he comes to this place that is totally immoral. If he had problems with the idolatry in Athens, he, he really would have struggled with, with the immorality in Corinth. I believe that to be the case. You know, um, Scripture speaks of Lot. Being, this righteous man, Lot, was tormented in his righteous soul to see the wickedness in Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, I'm not saying that Corinth was as bad as Sodom and Gomorrah, but it was, it was wicked. It was wicked. A vile place. It's about 48 miles from Athens. It's out on that neck of land that they've cut that waterway through. And Paul entered this city of over 200,000 people, and he enters this city alone. He doesn't know anyone. He doesn't know anyone. He enters a city of 200,000 people not knowing anyone. He enters it alone. He's all alone. And I think he feels that. He does not have any of his companions with him. I'm pretty sure that Luke stayed in Philippi. Silas and Timothy he had left in Berea. I think they come and visit him while he's in Athens for a minute, and he sends Timothy to Thessalonica, and he may have sent Silas to Philippi, but I'm not sure. Turn to 1 Thessalonians for a minute. Again, 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes, those verses Rick read for us, the verses we're looking at, Acts 18, 1 through 11. While this is going on, Paul writes this letter to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians. In fact, it's even tighter than that. Paul writes this letter to the Thessalonians somewhere between verse 1 and 4 of chapter 18. After these things, he left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently... Somewhere between that and before verse 5 begins, 
That's when Paul pens 1 Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1 through 3, this, again, he, he had been to Thessalonica, right? He got chased out of there by that mob. His heart is there with those folks. 1 Thessalonians 3, 1. Therefore, when we can endure it no longer, we can't take it anymore. we got to know how you guys are doing. We thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. So he's worried that they're going to be disturbed by the afflictions that he knows they're suffering and the afflictions that he is suffering. He's very concerned for them. He, he, sends, he sends Timothy back. Again, if the idolatry and the pseudo-intellectualism of Athens was unsettling to Paul, imagine how disturbed it would make his righteous soul to be confronted with the sin of Corinth and still be thinking back to the Thessalonians and being concerned for them and concerned for those at Berea and concerned for others that he ministered to. But God sends in some people, doesn't he? God sends people into his life back in Acts 18. 18.2, And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, having recently came from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. He came to them. Priscilla and Aquila, you guys are most likely familiar with them, but they are prominent figures in the New Testament. Just a wonderful couple, a married couple. And it's just the comfort... Paul needed when he was feeling alone. He needed new friendships. And God provided that for Paul, and he provides that for us. He does. He provides that for us as believers today. He's the same God. He provides us with new friendships, new companions. How does God comfort us? This is one of the ways that we can look to see, I think this is God comforting me. And we can reject that. We can hold our arm out strong and say, I don't want this friendship in my life. We could do anything with that. But I ask you to consider, if God brings a new, another brother and sister in Christ into your life, he's doing it to, maybe to comfort you. Maybe to comfort you, to bless you, or for you to comfort them, to bless them. God works in these ways. He did for Paul. He does for us as well. Now, I believe... Um, for various reasons, that Priscilla and Aquila are already believers. If they weren't, I think Paul would have mentioned that when they came, he shared the gospel with them and they got saved because everyone else that gets saved in this, in this second missionary journey, he names them by name. I think they're believers that have come from Rome. They, there's a church in Rome we know because Paul writes to that church. And it says that, uh, that Priscilla and Aquila are there because um, Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And there is some thought to this. People think, and I kind of think it might be so, that uh, it happened, well, we know historically that they were, the Jews were kicked out of Rome because there was rioting going on. And if you study that out a little bit, it could be that the same kind of riot that took place in Thessalonica is what was taking place in Rome. In other words, Christians were sharing the gospel with Jews, and the Jews were rejecting that, and it was causing these disturbances. And Claudius said, I don't want anything to do with this. All you Jews just get out of here. We don't want you around anymore. So it could well be that that, um, that was why Aquila and Priscilla had to leave Rome. But it says, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them. They were working, for by trade they were tent makers. You know, when you don't know which way to go, which way you should go, I think you, it's good to say just get up and go to work. Okay? This has served me so well throughout my life. I think I can make a biblical case for this. When I don't know which way to go, I just get up and go to work. Just get up and get active. May as well do something while I'm doing nothing. Right? Don't, Paul's not sitting there in a pity party. He, he, he's beaten up a little bit, and he feels these pressures, but he's got to provide for himself, and he gets up and goes to work. And it's in these simple and practical ways we find some of the richest Blessings and the greatest comfort that God provides. Just these very practical, simple things. God, God just blesses us overwhelmingly in these ways. I think Paul was blessed tremendously 
by running into these folks that were of the same trade as him. And this couple is going to become a big part of Paul's life. They're going to minister so faithfully beside him and in so many other ways that we see them instructing Apollos more more accurately in the things of the Lord. And we see that they have a church that meets in their home, I think in Romans 16. And they stay interested in the church at Corinth. Paul writes writes and, and tells them that Aquila and Priscilla send you their greetings. Um, just beautiful, beautiful couple here, Priscilla and Aquila. But God doesn't just provide these people. He also knew these, these new folks in his life. These other folks that he already knew, Silas and Timothy, are going to come to him as well. Verse 5, but when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the words, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. They came from Macedonia. They came from Macedonia. If you'd have kept your hand in 1 Thessalonians 3, and you can look back there. If you wanted to, you don't have to. 1 Thessalonians 3, 6 through 9, Paul says, But Timothy has just now come from us, come to us from you. Paul is penning a letter to the Thessalonians, and he says, But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we are encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since we know that you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Do you see the kind of comfort God provided for him? It, 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 it is tremendous. God does this thing still today. News comes that the Thessalonians, Paul, they're okay. Not only are they okay, they miss you as much as you miss them. And they're standing firm in the Lord. When, when, when Silas and Timothy come to Paul in Macedon, from Macedonia here in Acts 18, when they arrive there, there's got to be a celebration going on. Hey, God comforts us in those ways too. He does. He comforts us in those ways too. Wow. How, how much does your heart rejoice when you hear of someone you've been praying for come to faith in Christ or get things right with the Lord or, or continue to stand strong in the Lord? How much is it an encouragement to, of, uh, to us to hear of the Neild family there in Ireland standing firm in the Lord in very difficult situations? How much of a blessing is it going to be to them to know that we care for them? Do you see how God comforts us? Amen. It's just wonderful, isn't it? He's given us this family that we belong to, a family of God. Hey, what a beautiful thing. He comforts us so wonderfully. He's so good to us. And, and Paul, Paul says as much, how can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Silas and Timothy show up at just the right time. And Paul goes, is able to go, and I think Silas brings back some funds from the Philippians. The Philippians have been uh, um, providing for Paul's financial needs because now he's not, he's not going to be tent making every day. I think he still continues to do that, especially when he gets to Ephesus. He's not rejecting that, but now he's, he's free to, to, to focus on the Word of God, to focus on the Gospel, to focus on sharing the Gospel with folks. And God, and God comforts us in those ways as well, right? Let's say uh, four months from now, you hear that Patrick is, 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 is freed up to go do something, and you find out that a hundred people come to faith in Christ. Let's say this church grows and it sends out a missionary to Africa or something like that. And when those missionaries come back, they share the details of stories of how they saw thousands of people come to Christ. Wouldn't, wouldn't that just cause our hearts to rejoice, hey? We, we don't need to be the person doing the thing. We're just excited to know that God is on the move. And that we get to be a part in prayer and financial support in all kinds of ways, in loving on people. God is so good to us. 
It says in verse 4, I skipped that for a second. It says, and he was reasoning in the synagogues. That reasoning there that he was doing prior to Silas and Timothy coming, it's a dialogue, hey? He's speaking from one side to another. It's getting to a conclusion, getting a a conclusion across by exchanging thoughts. It's a question and answer thing that he would be doing. But, But God sends people into our lives. He comforts us in that way, and he comforted Paul in that way. The special comfort that comes from God when we hear of our brothers and sisters' unshaken faith. It makes my heart rejoice. I have a brother in Christ I'm thinking of right now, and when... And I'm not on Facebook. You guys know that. If anything, Cindy and I have a Facebook page. If anything is on there, I didn't put it there. (laughs) Um, But I get to see what's on there, and I have a brother in Christ, and when I see the things he posts, it makes my heart rejoice. It makes my heart rejoice that he's standing firm in the Lord. When Silas and Timothy come to Paul in Corinth, It has a powerful impact on him and on his ministry. The second way that God comforts us, uh, what's going to turn why I think uh, Silas came from Philippi, in 2 Corinthians 11.9, it says, For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied what I needed. When Paul's writing to the Corinthians, he said, I didn't take any money from you guys because the Corinthians weren't in a place spiritually where they could they could support Paul financially and it not disrupt them. Hey, they weren't in a place spiritually to do that. And he, he lets the Corinthians know that. Second way that God comforts us, that he comforted Paul, God confirms his purposes for our lives. He confirms his purposes for our lives. Verses 5 through 8, But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the word solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But when they resisted and blasphemed, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. I think even in that, Paul is saying the weight of responsibility, maybe. Maybe Paul was bearing some of the weight of responsibility. This shaking out the dust of his cloak is him saying, I'm not responsible for you. I'm not responsible. I've shared the gospel. Your blood be on your own heads. You've heard it. You've heard it. I'm going to the Gentiles. He doesn't abandon them because he only goes next door to the building that's adjoined to the synagogue. I think it's right next to it. Um, But you may, you may. God confirms His purposes for our lives. You may have heard it said before, and it's true. There is no better place to be than in the center of God's will. There's no better place to be than right in the center of God's will. And maybe Paul was beginning to think or starting to think he was washed up or that he had taken a wrong turn. Maybe I should have stayed in Thessalonica. Maybe I shouldn't have come to Corinth. Maybe I should have already been in Ephesus. Maybe this and maybe that. There's certainly that distress over leaving the Thessalonians and we can point to that directly. And maybe, just maybe, maybe, just maybe, and I'm, this is me talking. This isn't Scripture. I can't prove this from Scripture. But Paul's a man. He's a man. He's not Jesus. He's not God. He's a man. Maybe, just maybe, he found out when he was in Athens that his own intellect could not save anyone. And he went into Athens thinking, I can, I can intellectualize with the best of you guys. I've got this. Maybe, just maybe, that's where he was at. His determination among the Corinthians, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And then there's this vow in verse 18 of chapter 18. It says that he shaved his head for a vow. I don't know what that vow is about. But it could be something about where his state of mind was when he was in Athens. And maybe he made a vow to the Lord. Look, I'm speculating here, but maybe his vow to the Lord was something like this. God, you'll rescue me from here. I will do nothing from now on except preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. I know I don't have what it takes. I can't save anyone. My wisdom, in the sense of worldly wisdom, doesn't measure up. He says as much when he writes to the Corinthians 
in First uh, Corinthians chapter one, it says worldly wisdom is nothing. It's nothing. The wisdom of God just blows it apart, obliterates it. Maybe it's a lesson Paul needed to learn. And so that's, that's some of his anguish. I don't know. I'm surmising here. I'm, and I'm not taking anything away from Paul by doing so. I just know that he was wounded. He was weak. He says so. I, went, I came to you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. I was in distress and persecution. He had a burden on his heart. And God comforts him by sending him people. And God comforts him by confirming his purpose in his life. That news from Thessalonica, the support possibly from, from Philippi, and this Titus Justice in verse 7, then he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justice, a worshiper of God, whose house was right next door to the synagogue. So God, God, is, God is comforting him by confirming his purpose for his life. And then there's Crispus who gets saved. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with his whole household. How many times... Look, we're going to hear testimony. We're not going to. We're going to hear some testimony this morning. There's another testimony in this place that I am aware of. Someone had been praying for someone for a long time, and that person trusted the Lord. How exciting it is to see God on the move! So Paul sees people coming to faith, and churches are being established. And the darkness that seemed so strong is not prevailing over the church, and it it comforts him. It comforts him. For us, his comfort comes as he confirms his purpose for our lives too. As we, as we also walk in simple obedience. That, that's what Paul had to do. He was walking in simple obedience. And as we grow in our dependence upon him, that's what Paul had to do. And as we find, as Paul did, that the Lord never left him nor forsook him. The Lord comes and speaks to him in the night. As we find, as Paul did, that the Lord never, he, he hasn't left me. He hasn't, he hasn't left you. If you're a believer here today, I want you to hear this. Whatever distress, when I began this message, I said, think of the distress maybe, the thing you carry around with you. I want you to hear this. The Lord has never left you nor forsaken you. Never. Paul was never truly alone, and neither are you. God has not left you. You have not made a mistake. You will not be ashamed for following Jesus. You won't be. God has not left you. He doesn't leave us. Sometimes we get into great uh, anticipation or anxiety about God's purpose for our lives because we can't figure out. You know, we got the puzzle laid out before us. We got no box to go off of. The puzzle is a 10,000-piece puzzle, and we don't even know what the picture looks like. And it causes us distress. But we don't need to be in the dark about these things as far as God's purpose for our life. It's a lot easier to navigate than we often make it. It's a lot easier to navigate God's purpose for your life, and it's a lot easier for me to navigate than I often make it. A couple of questions. And I'm going to ask you to answer. Can you trust God? Amen. Can you trust His Word? Amen. Okay, now take that. And let's get really spiritual here, okay? Really spiritual. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul writes to the Romans and he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. It's a spiritual act of worship to offer your body, your hands, your ears, your eyes, your mind, your emotions. It's a spiritual act of worship to offer all of that to God. It's a worship of God to do that. To offer your bodies is a spiritual act of worship, holy and pleasing to God. We know what's holy and pleasing to God, and we know what's not. Whatever's not holy and pleasing to God, get rid of it. Whatever you know to be holy and pleasing to God, cleave to that. Just grab hold of it. I ask you, can you trust God? Y'all said yes, or most of you anyway. Can you trust His Word? Y'all said yes. This is what His Word says. Do this, and look what it says next. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. We know what that pattern is. 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We just can't think on things like we used to, can we? We just cannot stay in the same thought patterns that we had before coming to faith in Christ. We've got to shed them. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. What is God's will for my life? What's his purpose? Do that and you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. His will for you is good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. And there's a road map to it right there in Romans 12, 1 and 2. And we can trust him and we can trust his word. He's the same God that was comforting Paul and he comforts us. He comforts us. So God confirms his purposes for our lives and he comforts us in that way. And God sends his word into our lives and he comforted Paul in that way and he comforts us in the same way. He sends his word into our lives. Verses 9, 9 and 10. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent for I am with you and no man will attack you in order to harm you for I have many people in this city. What a wonderful thing to hear from the Lord. What a wonderful confirmation of Paul's ministry and what a wonderful word for him to hear. Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. That's the King James. For I am with thee and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. For I have much people in this city. What he's saying to Paul is, Paul, you are not alone. You're not alone. Neither are we. We're not alone. And we could never be, and neither could he. For Paul, the word of the Lord was a vision in the night. But for us, it is the comfort of his word as we find it in the Bible. And Romans 15.4 speaks of the comfort of the scriptures in this way. For whatsoever things were written in the past or aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and the comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. You know, there's no comfort in a hopeless situation. There's no comfort in that at all. When you think, okay, I got this situation. Dan, I could have named that situation. I could have told you what it was at the beginning of that message, and there's no comfort in it because there's no comfort in a hopeless situation. It's not a hopeless situation. It's not a hopeless situation. Amen. Amen, Jeremy. That we, through patience and the comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. And we have a certain hope. And the trials that we face here are going to pale in comparison to the glory that's going to be revealed in us in time to come. Hey, I had a couple of places I wanted to turn to close this message. And I said it would be a little long. But I got it marked on my page here, one for sure. Go to 2 Corinthians 1. And we'll close with this. 2 Corinthians 1. Three through nine. And just keep it in your mind now. We're looking at Acts 18, 1 through 11, and Paul is in this place called Corinth. And he's planning a church there. He's spending 18 months there. He's going to write them. I think he writes them as many as four letters, but we only have two in Scripture. These are the authoritative ones. This second letter to the, to the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 through 9. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. So God, Paul is saying, I've been comforted by God. And God has comforted me in my afflictions so that I can comfort others. And he's comforted you in your afflictions so that you can comfort others who are in the same situation. It's for a purpose. So that we, able to, so that we are able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort 
is abundant through Christ. But if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Or if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so also you are sharers of our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust for a reason, so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. I'll go back to that thing that was bothering you. And I don't know what it is. You do. The thing that distresses you. Maybe it's been distressing you for 15, 20 years. I don't know. Go back to that thing. God can comfort you in it. And not only that, right there in it, God wants you to not trust in yourself, but in God who raises the dead. Who raises the dead. We have a wonderful God, the God of all comfort. Let me close with a word of prayer. And we're going we're gonna to hear some testimonies and welcome some new members to the church. And what a comfort that's going to be. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your word. Thank you for how it all uh, goes together. That, that, the, that the narrative of Acts, we can see played out in the letters that Paul writes, Father. Thank you that you, we have a sure word that we can trust. Thank you that we can trust you and that we can trust your word. We just need to simply move forward in simple obedience. And sometimes that's very practical ways. And you just bless us the same way you bless Paul. By bringing people into our lives. By confirming your purposes for our lives. And comforting us through the comfort of the Scriptures. Thank you for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.